Well, today we are beginning a brand new series on the New Testament book of James, which I think is probably the most practical and relevant book that we have in the entire New Testament. So welcome to those of you here in the room. Welcome to those of you watching online. If you have a Bible you want to turn to James chapter 1, we're going to start right there at the very beginning of it. If you're uh, watching online there, there's a little button there in the upper right-hand corner of your screen called Talk Notes. If you push that, it's going to take you to all the scriptures we're going to be looking at today, as well as all the points I'll be making. Those of you live here in the room, if you go to our website, exponential.church, you're able to access the notes there as well. A little bit of context as we get started here this morning. James is written not by the Apostle James. You remember Jesus had 12 disciples, of which he had three that he was really close with, Peter, James, and John. Now, this is not that James. This is a different James. In fact, this James is the half-brother of Jesus. And I've told you this before, sort of a little bit of a joke, that you know, James, the brother of Jesus, didn't become an actual follower of Jesus until after Jesus' resurrection. Because isn't that what it would take for you to, like, follow your brother? Is he'd have to rise again from the dead? I mean, he's claiming that he's God. He's claiming that he can forgive sin. And you're like, bro, like, shut up, right? But then he actually does it. You're like, okay, I'm going to become your follower. Now, not only did James, the brother of Jesus, become a follower, he actually becomes the leader of the church there in Jerusalem. And about a decade then after Jesus' resurrection, Herod Agrippa is persecuting all the Christians there. You know, these Jewish people, they've now become followers of Jesus, and there's this intense persecution that are coming to the people. In fact, many of the Jews there, they start to flee the city of Jerusalem. In fact, that's how James actually starts his letter. Look at James chapter 1, verse 1. He writes this, this letter from James, a slave of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, I am writing to the 12 tribes, Jewish believers scattered abroad, and he says, greetings. So he writes this, it's about 45 to 49 AD, it's somewhere in that general range. So uh, it's, you know, about 12 to, to 15, 16 years after the actual resurrection that James is writing this, and he's encouraged them in the midst of the trials that they're facing. Now, a couple more things just as a, a way of context for you here. James is often called the Proverbs of the New Testament because as you read through James, he's giving these like little short little sentences and, and little phrases that are very, very practical and how to live out your life and, and how to mature in your faith. Now, another thing you need to know about James is he's actually quite controversial. And what I mean by that is there's some people that go, well, wait a second, the Apostle Paul, he talks all about faith, and James seems to put a lot of emphasis on works. So what is it? Is it like we're saved by faith, or are we saved by works, or is it a combination of faith and works? But actually, as you read through and you study both the writings of Paul and you study the writings of James, you realize there is no contradiction at all. There, there really shouldn't be a controversy, because what Paul primarily talks about is faith in as far as how are we justified with God. Now, if you remember back at Easter, we actually talked about that word, justification, and I gave you an easy way to remember what justification means. Anybody remember what it was? Justification is just as if though you do the what? Never sin, right? So justification, how do you remember it? Just as if though I never sin. And so that's what Paul is really writing about. How are we made right with God? How are we justified with God? You've got to have faith in Jesus. You put your faith in Jesus, and when you do that, God sees you just as if, though, 
you never sinned. You are now justified. So that's justification with God. What James primarily is writing about is how are you then justified with your fellow human being? How are you made right with others? How do you prove to others that you have faith in Jesus? And he says, well, that's done by your good works. That's how people will know about Jesus. Not because you say that you follow Jesus. They're going to know it because of the works that you're doing in your life. And so James, he actually talks about both faith and works, that you need both faith in Jesus, but then the works to show others Jesus is in you. Does that make sense? All right. Uh, another thing that you notice in the writing of, of James is he often takes two words and sort of couples them together and uses that as sort of the next teaching point that he's going to make. And so that's what we're going to do throughout this whole series is we're going to look at five different two-word phrases that he puts together. So today is testing and persevering, all right? So he puts those two words together, testing and persevering. You see, all of us at some point are going to have tests that come into our life. We're going to have trials. We're going to have adversity that's going to come. There's going to be hardships that are going to come. And James is going to write about we need to persevere through that. No matter what happens, just keep on persevering. And so after his initial greeting of saying, you know, I'm writing this to these people that have been scattered abroad because of this persecution, he then makes a very intentional, shocking statement. Look at verse 2. He writes, dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. Now, let's be honest. When trials and adversity and difficulties come our way, that isn't our natural gut instinct, is it? To go, thank God for that. But yet James says, consider it pure joy. Count it all joy whenever you face trials of many kinds. I mean, can you imagine that? Thank God for this cancer diagnosis. Thank God I was in that car accident. Thank God that my, my loved one passed away. Thank God that I got laid off from my job. Thank God for those things. That just doesn't make sense to us that we would thank God in the midst of all that. Thank God for persecution that's come my way. And that's who James is writing this to, is these people that are undergoing this great persecution. He says, but consider it pure joy. And I also want you to notice he doesn't say if trials come your way. He says when trials come your way. It's going to happen. Jesus said it this way. He said, look, in this world, you are going to have trouble. Bad things are going to happen to all of us, including persecution. All of us at some point will be persecuted for the faith that we have. In fact, Paul, he, he writes about this as well in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12. Paul writes, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Did you know that last year in the world, 360 million Christians weren't just persecuted, but were intensely persecuted? Last year, Around the world, 5,621 people were martyred for their faith in Jesus. Now, we don't quite have it that bad here in the U.S. yet, but it's coming. There's coming a day when just even speaking the name of Jesus means you're going to be putting your life on the line. And we forget about that. We have it so good as Americans 
that there are men and women all around the world that to do what we're doing here, meeting together, gathering together to worship, to hear the word of God, they have to, they have to hide out to do it because they can be arrested, they can be tried, they can be whipped, they can be murdered because of their faith in Jesus. But yet James says, even when those things happen, consider it pure joy. Not because that we like pain, but because of what he writes next. Look at verses 3 and 4. James writes, because you know that this testing of your faith will produce perseverance. So let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking for anything. Let me try to help you to understand this uh, sort of this way. Remember when you were a kid and you were handed a box of crayons, right? You got that eight-color bo box. And like as a little kid, you're so excited. You got these eight crowns in your hands and you're, you're, you're drawing and your little imagination is going wild and, and you're doing flowers and clouds and houses and, you know, stick figure people that don't really look like people, but yet you think they look like people and you're just coloring with these eight colors, right? And you think, wow, this is amazing. And then something even more amazing happened. Somebody eventually handed you one of these. <laughs> 64 colors? Are you kidding me? There's more than eight colors. There's 64 colors? Wow! This is amazing. And your little artist mind, just like your world was expanded. Because there was more than just eight things in order to draw pictures. Now, remember when James says, consider pure joy, he says, whenever you face trials of many kinds. So we look at the Greek word there for many, it actually means many colors. And see, what, what I think we do so often is we think that there's only eight different things. Can I even get these out of here? Yeah. We think that there's only like eight. How many I got here? Three, there's six. We think that there's only like eight ways that God grows us as Christians. We go, you know, I, I, I need to, I need to pray and read my Bible, I got to come to church, right? Got to be in a life group. I should be serving other people. I should be giving, you know, and there, there's like a couple things that we do. And when we say, these are the things, this is how I become more and more and more like Jesus. And, and what James is writing here is, look, God has an entire box of crayons that's going to help you to grow. And there are, there's some colors in your growth that you're not going to be happy about. See, there's going to become times where pain comes, there's adversity, there's trials, there's hardships. 
And, and God's going, will you trust me? Will you trust me that this color that I have here, this crayon that I have here, that I'm actually using it to paint a beautiful picture in your life? That I can see things that you can't see, that I have a, a palette of colors that's well beyond your wildest imagination? Will you trust me, God says? Will you persevere throughout the trials, throughout the hardship? Just trust me that I know more than what you know and that I can do things well beyond what you ever hoped or imagined. Does that make sense? God's going to grow us, and he's going to grow us in amazing ways. And sometimes it's going to be through simple things like, oh, just read your Bible. Just come to church. But sometimes it's going to be through times of persecution and pain and adversity and loss. Now, I know a lot of people, they go, well, why is that? Why would God allow things like that? Well, the simple thing is because sin is still present here on this planet. Jesus took care of sin for all time, but he said, in this world, you are going to have trouble. And it's Satan, the little G-O-D of this world, and he is still ruling. He is still here. The tough times are, are going to come. It's not that God doesn't love us. Ultimately, he does win. Bad things are going to happen even to good people. Relational pain. Mental health crisis. There's going to be disease and suffering, financial loss, persecution, you name it. Each of these things are going to deeply test our faith. Oftentimes what that does, though, for people is they go, wait a second, is there even a God if he's allowing this? Or where is God right now? Why, why hasn't God intervened in my situation? Or why hasn't God come and, and healed my loved one yet? What is going on? Why, why is God doing this? And these are tough questions. But what James is getting at is when you go through these tough times, there is a creative God in heaven who is coloring us a picture that we can't even see. You just got to persevere. You got to keep on going. So James says, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance. Now, what is perseverance? Well, I put it on your outline. The dictionary definition is this. Perseverance is a continued effort to do or achieve something despite difficulties, failure, or opposition that delays success. And James says the whole reason that we persevere is so that you may be mature and complete and not lacking for anything. Let me ask you a question. Is that the type of faith you want to have? A faith that's mature? A faith that's complete, a faith that's not lacking for anything, I think all of us would say, yeah, that's the type of faith I want. James says, well then, buddy, you're going to go through some stuff. Some tough times are going to come, but keep on persevering. Now, remember what I said about James and Paul, they don't actually contradict each other? Paul writes about this. Look at Romans 5, 3, uh, and then through verse 5, he says, we can rejoice when we run into problems and trials, for we know that they help us develop what? They help us develop perseverance. And Paul's writing about it too. He says, and perseverance builds character, which gives us a hope that will never disappoint us. 
And so what adversity is going to do is it's going to call us to strive higher, to be greater, to trust deeper. Suffering expands our faith. Pain drives us into the arms of the Father. And thus our faith and our hope increases as we discover that we can trust God even as he's coloring outside the lines that we would want him to color. So let me encourage you to keep your eyes on Jesus. Paul writes at one point, he says, keep on pressing on towards the goal. James here, he says, consider it pure joy. The author of the book of Hebrews writes this in Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. We must do what? We must. We must do what? We must. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. Wait, did we skip something? Are we on the, uh, did we not get the first part of that? There we go. All right, thank you. I was going to say, that's not what I have written. <laughs> All right. All right, so we must what? Persevere. We've got to persevere in running the race that is ahead of us. So keep your eyes on Jesus who leads us and makes our faith complete. Now he did what? He, Jesus, he persevered. He endured the shame of being nailed to a cross because he knew later on he would be glad that he did. Now he is seated at the place of honor beside God's throne. And so what Jesus did for us on the cross, that is the ultimate example of trial and adversity, isn't it? You're never going to go through as big of a trial as what Jesus did on the cross. But yet, what does the writer here in Hebrews write? Jesus persevered. He persevered. And the writer here says, because he knew he would be glad that he did it. Can you say the same thing in your life? That in this trial, I'm going to consider it pure joy. And I'm going to continue to persevere. And I'm going to be glad that I did it. I'm going to be glad that God allowed this in my life. Can you say that? Now look at the result. What happened with Jesus? Because he went through the trial, because he endured, because he persevered, he is now seated at the right hand of God. He was rewarded for going through the trial. He was rewarded for going through it with perseverance. And the same thing is going to be true for you. If you persevere like Jesus, there's going to be reward both in this life and in the life to come. So the question then becomes, all right, how do I keep persevering then? What does that look like? Well, three things I want to talk to you about here this morning. Because, you know, it's not about just being the little engine that could. I think I can. I think I can. I think it's not about you. It's all about God. It's all about trusting in Jesus. So number one on your outline, when I don't know what to do in the midst of the trial, I need to stop and ask God. Now, this seems so obvious that the first thing that we should do is pray about it. But so many people don't do that. In fact, one of my pet peeves is people go, well, I guess the only thing left to do now is pray. <laughs> no, that's the first thing you should have done. In the midst of the trial, stop and ask God, God, what do I do about this? 
That's what James writes in verse 5 then. As we continue on, he says, If any of you need wisdom, you should ask God, and it will be given to you. God is generous, and he won't correct you for asking. God is the source of all wisdom, so ask him, what do I need to do here? You don't know the answer to everything, especially in the midst of pain and difficulty and trials. So stop and ask God for wisdom. James writes, look, God isn't going to be upset about that. He's going to say, you know, why would you ask such a stupid question? Why are you asking my help? Now think about this. Those of you that are parents, if your kid asked you a question and the, the, the question was something that was going to help them to be mature and to be complete and to, to grow into a young man or woman of God, a responsible citizen of the world, they asked you a sincere question. You didn't, like, chastise them and go, well, shut up. Stop asking questions. No, you were glad. And, and that's what James is writing here. God's not going to be upset with you. He's not going to correct you for asking a question. Why don't you already know that? Well, you have to learn things. And so ask. Ask him. He's wiser than you are. He's wiser than I am. Get in his word. See what he has to say about your situation. He wants to help you. Because again, James writes, he wants you to be mature and complete and not lacking for anything. So he's going to be more than happy to help you along the way. Number two then, I must guard against doubt creeping into the process. The reason that God is allowing these trials in your life is because he wants your faith to grow. And faith and, and doubt, they're opposites, aren't they? They can't coexist with one another. And so right after James writes here that we should ask for wisdom and how to handle all these trials and difficulties and things that we're going through, he writes this then in verses 6 to 8. He says, but when you ask, you must believe and not do what? And not doubt because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and, and tossed by the wind. Such people should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Their loyalty is divided between God and the world and they are unstable in everything that they do. Now, as we read through Scripture, doubt is never actually listed as a sin, but yet we shouldn't do it either, right? Jesus, over and over and over, talks about have faith and, and don't doubt. Have faith. Have faith, don't doubt. And, and really, another way to say that then would be trust. You have to have trust, don't doubt. And so anytime you get to a place where you're experiencing some doubts in your life, start to ask yourself then, well, who or what am I trusting in? Am I truly trusting in, in Jesus for this? I mean, yeah, the situation looks bad. I have my doubts that things are ever, ever going to change. But am I like putting my trust in my own imagination and my own, like, logic? Or am I putting my faith and my trust in the Jesus who has the power to change me and to help me and take this circumstance and this situation and make it new? 
look, Jesus already knows what you're going through and what's going to happen, and his desire is to help you to get smoothly through it and to become more and more like him in the process. Or as Solomon once famously said in Proverbs 3, 5 to 6, trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not on your own understanding and all your ways acknowledge him and he will show you which path to take. Don't trust in your own wisdom. Don't trust in your own intellect. Ask God. He is wise. Trust him throughout the process. Number three then, I must remain humble. Now, this whole topic of humility keeps coming up a lot recently. I mean, it's almost like God wants us to hear it, right? And it's just over and over throughout the pages of Scripture, this whole thing of remain humble, be humble. But oftentimes we think that humility is a thing that we only have to really practice like when we're on the mountaintop. Like, we've made it, we've succeeded, and I've got to make sure that pride doesn't start to, to creep in. But pride can creep in at other times as well. It's not just when you're on the mountaintop. Pride can creep in when you're down in the valley as well. And so James writes that, look, you know, when you're in the midst of trials and tough circumstances, you've got to remain humble. Look at verse 9. He writes, believers in humble circumstances should be glad that God thinks so highly of them. You know, Jesus said the, the first will be last and the last shall be first, which doesn't make sense to our minds, like, logically, right? And I have shared this with you before. Like, God's math and our math isn't the same. Well, God's logic and our logic isn't always the same either. And so here James is writing about this whole thing of, you know, when you're humbled by the circumstances of life, remain there. Remain in that humility. Don't allow pride to creep in. You see, what happens so often is, is people get themselves into, into situations and circumstances in life that it's either, you know, just things have happened because sin's still in the world or they brought it upon themselves. And they're in the valley. There is pain. There's adversity. There's difficulty. There's bad circumstances that are going on. And you know what comes in at that time? Pride. Well, I can't tell anybody about that. I, 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 I can't share that. What will other people think about me? Especially as a follower of Jesus. I, I, I can't talk about that. But James is writing, look, when you're humbled by the circumstances of life, man, don't, don't allow pride to creep in. Be honest with others. Share it with the people in your life group. Let them know what's going on because other people are going to want to help you. And James says, be glad that, that God thinks so highly of you that he allowed you to go through this. Because what it means is God knows that this circumstance, this adversity, this trial is not going to defeat you. That you are going to overcome it, not through your own strength, not through your own power, but because the Spirit of God who lives inside of you, the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead, is going to help you get through this. So be glad, but remain humble throughout the whole process. As I said earlier, adversity calls you to strive higher, to be greater, to trust deeper, 
Suffering expands your faith. Pain drives you into the arms of a God who loves you. And thus, your faith and your hope is increased as you discover that we can trust God. So again, James says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know the testing of your faith develops perseverance, and perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete and not lacking for anything. Again, all of us, that's where we want to be. Mature, complete, not lacking for anything. So consider it pure joy. When God starts to color with colors that you never thought would be in your life. Because if you'll ask him for wisdom, he's going to get you through. But remain humble. Remain humble. Ask for help. Don't go through it alone. And we'll wrap up today with... Verse 12, James encourages us with these words. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial, because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. This week, what I want you to do is sort of reflect on your own life. If you're on the mountaintop right now, thank God for that. But be prepared, because tough times will come. Prepare yourself now for those valleys that will ultimately come. And if you're in the valley right now, do the things we talked about today. Continue to trust God. Remain humble. And he will see you through so that you're mature and complete, not lacking for anything. Let's pray to God. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this opportunity to come together to worship you through our time with one another, through music, through our giving, through the preaching and the hearing of your word. Lord, we are truly better together. And Lord, we know that in this world we are going to have trouble. And that while you have won the ultimate victory over sin, sin is still prevalent right here and right now. And so, Lord, we know that sometimes just through the actions of others or sometimes our own actions, bad things happen to good people. And, Lord, I just pray that as we go from this place and we continue to walk this journey called life, when bad things happen, we wouldn't have this, oh, woe is me. We would go, thank you, Jesus, because I don't know why you're allowing this, but you trust me enough that... You're allowing this to happen, so help me now to persevere and to learn whatever lessons it is that you would have for me to learn. So, Jesus, I need your wisdom, I need your guidance, and I need your people to help me to walk through this valley. And Lord, when we're on the mountaintop, help us to willingly walk down into the valley with our brothers and sisters that are hurting and say, man, I've been there before, and I'm here to help. What can I do? How can I pray for you? How can I encourage you? How can I hold you accountable? How can I uh, do whatever it takes to help you get through this time that you're going through? 
Lord, we are better together, and so help us to walk as a church family and as the capital C church with others that are experiencing hardship and persecution all around the world. Lord, help us to live with an attitude that life isn't about me, but it's about you, Jesus, and it's about others. Help us truly to love our neighbors just as much as we love ourselves. Jesus, thank you that you have a box of crayons that looks way different than what our imagination could have ever have thought. So help us just to trust you each and every day in each and every way. Thank you, Jesus, that you went through the ultimate trial, the trial on the cross, but yet you persevered so that we could have life not just for eternity, but ultimately, abundantly, right here and right now. And so, Jesus, help us to learn from your example. And in the good times, rejoice with those who rejoice. And in the bad times, mourn with those who are mourning. Let us consider it pure joy whenever we face trials of many kinds, because we know the testing of our faith develops perseverance, Perseverance must finish its work so that we may be mature and complete, not lacking for anything. Jesus, that's what we want. So help us to live that right here and right now. We pray all these things in your precious and holy name. Amen.